had the privilege of um, Ilza and I of visiting with a, a couple. I told you that I'm, the Lord brought us into contact with a couple that I ministered to years ago. And the lady said that recently she um, came into real relationship with the Father. And that's why we went to see them and said, you know, my intention was to make her aware of the fact that she's been in church for 20 years. So, and, and this is what she said, this is what she said to me. It's, um, you know, she's sad about all the wasted time. We all know what that feels like. Pursuing to know God, but so often um, we are faced with religion instead of the kingdom of God. Faced with um, traditions of men instead of the Holy Spirit of God. Faced with a few scriptures, a few verses instead of the truth of God's word. And it wastes so many years of people's lives. And that's, that was the Holy Spirit that could bring a person that has already wasted a lifetime. Said she was brought up in church, been going to church since she was a kid. In the 50s, she comes to the point where she has a real relationship with the Father. She said, what a, what a sad thing to have wasted all those years. Went to church every Sunday. And that is why little underground churches like this exist. That's why we do what we do. We equip. Because we need to help people find the door that they've been looking for. <coughs> By grace we are saved. Nothing that we did. Just grace. So we are thankful. Everybody um, feel the weight of that light little teaching of last week. We taught the principle of progressing. What did it do? Did it do anything in you? Did it shake your world again? Just a very simple principle of progressing. Did you start paying attention to seeing how you're progressing and if you're progressing? I hope nobody felt any condemnation if you felt like your progression was too slow. No condemnation. Okay. Tell us where we're going and why we're going there, please. Okay. So, today we're not moving on to a new principle yet, because believe it or not, last week's teaching was actually just an introduction to what we wanted to do, so we're going to do that today. What's new? Okay. So, we're still busy looking at the principle of progressing. Um, I don't know how much of that I should explain again, or shall we just... It seems no. that everyone thought about it quite a bit, meditated on it quite a bit. So, um, but what did come up was Wednesday evening, we came together on Wednesday evening. Um, we had a group discussion about, you know, including this, how is this going to change the way we walk? And there were a few comments or a few of you said that um, you're taking this very seriously and this has been quite an eye-opener, but there's this 
unsureness of how do we measure progression? How do we measure if we're actually progressing, if we're doing what we're supposed to do, if we're arriving where we're supposed to arrive, when we're supposed to arrive there? Um, now, obviously, this is the, the, the is no concrete answer to this um, because, as we know, even though we are moving as a body, and this it is true that the spirit is always busy with a unified movement within the body. Um, for the body to move as a unit, the spirit has to also do within that some individual work in all of us so that we can get aligned to move with the rest of the body. Um, so it's a very difficult question to answer, to say, well, how do we know if we're progressing? How do we know if we've arrived? How do we know we're not falling behind? Um, so today we're going to look a bit at that. Um, and we've jotted down a few pointers for how do we measure progression or how do we measure increase uh, or forward movement, you know, toward the finished work or um, even forward momentum into something because we understand that that's progressing, not just moving, but moving into something, um, moving towards the finished work. Um, so a few of the pointers that we have is, first of all, an increase in love. We'll touch on some of these, not all of these, because we never have the time to look at everything. Um, so there's an increase in love, growing in wisdom, uh, progressing or increasing in knowledge, understanding, and also the knowledge of God. Uh, an increase in boldness, an increase in power and might, uh, growing in authority and, in, and influence, and an increase in understanding and knowing the will of God. Um, so these are just a few ideas. Obviously, this can be expanded into a million different streams as well. But basically, when we take all of this and we sum it up, what we're looking at is perfection. As you will notice from last week, there's perfection as well. So understand when we looked at this little sketch of just trying to explain what we are looking at, is that we, we were created in perfection, in the image and likeness of God, and then the fall happened, which means that we were now separated from God, no longer walking in the glory, no longer living in the perfection. And now this entire road, this entire journey, is not just about us prospering or just us you know, getting saved. It's actually the whole process of us coming back into the fullness that we were created for, coming back in the, into the perfection that we were created in. We also know, side note, we're going to build out on this, that Messiah, the body, has been the same since the beginning. It never changes. He never changes. So this is just the timeline of us coming back to the reality. Okay. Um, so perfection. So we're going to look at perfection. I want you to brace yourselves. We're having a slow, nice start. We're easing you in. This is just um, bear with us. So again, today you might think that we've done all the big stuff. We're going to show you something amazing yes, in doing, the Word. We're going to ease and... So, perfection. Yesterday, again, and this happens over and over and over in speaking to people. Yesterday, again, the very thought of perfection um, evokes a negative, rebellious kind of actually reaction, offense. an offense with people. Yeah. And again, yesterday, people said to me, 
surely we can't be perfected in this life. The idea of a believer coming to perfection in this life, for some reason, seems contrary to eternal life perfection. And this is something that we experience over and over. Wherever I go and I speak to people about the progression, about the purpose of our faith, about the goals of our faith, people have to insist that there's no way we can be perfected. It's because for 2,000 years, Christianity has encouraged each other to, to believe certain things. Uh, we're just fallible. We have the lie that we were born in sin. That's the first step. Everybody believes we're born in sin. The Bible doesn't say that at all. It says that we were created in the image and the likeness of God. And if uh, we believe in the principle and the truth of being reborn, recreated, the new creation in Messiah, then would He create us, recreate us into anything except His likeness and His image? doesn't make any sense. If that's the original way He created, why would He encourage us, uh, invite us, command us in the Word to allow Him to recreate us and then He'll create us in anything else but perfection? But we know that experientially in the world we have to go through a process of renewing the mind. We have to see um, a growth happening inside of us. There's a growing in the things of the Lord. But because nobody wants to take responsibility for what the standard that the Word sets in place, everybody has agreed to say, well, we're a group of fallible people together, so don't expect us to be perfect. And there was a time when I thought the same way, because that's what I was taught. So nobody gave us permission to start thinking in terms of the full truth and the full possibility that the Word speaks about. See, because it it will require us taking responsibility. Now, what we'll do is, we're going to set it on record that this is what the Word says about perfection. So that we can have it on record for you to use whenever you speak to someone. I'm not saying, look at me, I'm perfect. I'm saying, I have been perfected in Messiah because I was baptized into Messiah. I died to self and resurrected in Messiah. But, on earth, I'm in a process of progressing, increasing, Him increasing in me, me being conformed to His image, and his, Him being formed in me. That's the goal of our faith. But we need to look, we want to put it in place for everybody to see how this is what the Word says. And it challenges us. People are shocked when they hear. Yesterday I saw the shock on their faces again. When faced with the reality that they've read perfection in the Bible over and over and over, yet never occurred to them that maybe the Word's intention is that it actually happens, it manifests on earth in the body. It's just words, beautiful promises that we never intend to live in, walk in, or come into. Now, that's not faith. So we're going to just put that in place as a standard for progression. Okay, you can go for it. Just take us through the scripture, hey. scripture by scripture, that's it. These, Perfection. We're going to do this. Perfection first, yes. Okay, so, okay. so let's start in Hebrews chapter 6. Okay, 
Right. Uh, we're reading from actually chapter 5, verse 12, and then we're going to read into chapter 6. So, yeah, chapter 5, verse 12. <clears throat> and I'm going to unpack it while we read because it's just going to save time. So I'm going to stop in between. Okay. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Okay, so let's just remember. So, can I say the author is Paul? Let's say, just say the author is writing to the Hebrew church, the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and he's saying to them, for, the, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. So let's just remember in context who the Hebrew church is. So not only have they come with a history of about 3,000 years or longer actually, but as the Jewish people walking with God, knowing God, having relationship with God, having covenant with God. So not only has that happened for a very long time, but in actual fact, Jehoshua was born within their culture as a Jewish man. And they were the first to come to faith, the first to know him, the first to understand his ways, the faith, the fulfillment. They were the first to understand all of this. And so the author is writing to this Hebrew church saying to them, by this time you ought to be the teachers. Because now there are a lot of other churches, Gentile churches, coming up, starting up, coming to faith. And they are basing their walk on the way that the Hebrews, the Hebrew church is doing it because they are the main church, basically. They are the example to follow. So saying to them, in actual fact, you guys at this time need to be teachers. You need to be so equipped. You're supposed to be teachers. But then he says, you, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Okay, what are the first principles of the oracles of God? So oracle is another word for words or sayings or expressions. Are we surprised? No, we're not. So it says someone needs to teach you again the first principles of the sayings or the expressions or the words or the commandments or whatever of God. So we're back to what we're doing now. So what we're doing now is we're looking at the entire Old Testament, but specifically the parts in the law, so that we can be careful to observe His statutes, His judgments, His commandments, His voice, His covenant. We can be careful to observe His oracles, if you will, but not just so we can stick to works and do the works because we want to be right and we want to do the works, because we want to implement the principles behind them. So this is just saying what we're doing now. So. He says, someone has to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Mm, sorry. Therefore, Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Messiah. Okay, now, when reading the scripture in the past, did we, has any of us thought that the first principles of the oracles of God and the elementary principles of Messiah is the same thing? 
referring to the same thing. Check with yourselves quickly. This is how we learn. So we, we pause. We don't just listen and assume that we're understanding. How we learn is we pause and we go, I check with myself, what did I used to think? What, did I, what was my understanding before? Because you cannot correct understanding in learning if you don't quickly check what did I understand before, what was there before. And so we see two definite references to principles. So quickly check. Was there understanding? Was there no understanding? Was there some understanding? What was the understanding? Let's go from there. Okay. So I'm going to explain it now, but the reason I'm asking the question is so that we can see that there are two things here. So, the first principles of the Oracles of God, and then he says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Messiah. Okay, now to explain this, I'm not saying that it's two completely separate things. We're looking at progression. We understand that the entire Bible is one big progression of God's will. Uh, the whole Old Testament progresses into the New Testament. We have prophetic unfoldings, prophetic progressions throughout the Bible. We understand that the Word itself progresses, God's will progresses. So we know that this all happens. We've been doing this for a long time. But so what's happening here and what the author is writing to them, he's saying to them, you know, you are the Hebrew people. You are the Hebrew church. So first of all, you came through the process of knowing and understanding the first principles of the oracles of God, which was the law that was given. But we understand that the law wasn't given to them just so that they could do the works and keep the law, because then that's it. We know that Paul writes in Galatians that the law was given as a tutor to bring them to faith. So the law itself was given to for progression. Okay, so they were given the law it was supposed to progress them to faith, to bring them to faith. Okay, which they did. They got there because they are the church, this Hebrew church, are those Jewish Hebrew people who understood that Yeshua is the Son of God. They came to faith. They had the whole Abraham revelation. They are understanding this. So the Lord did what it was supposed to do. And we know that throughout the book of Hebrews, he's always encouraging them and throughout the New Testament, but specifically here, he's going to write to them to say, don't go back to the works because it's not about the works. You have come through the works. You've come to faith. You've progressed in that. But now there's another progression because now it says that there are the elementary principles of Messiah. So they came through the law, came to faith. Now they start implementing the principles of Messiah. Now remember Messiah, as I said now earlier, has never changed. Messiah was Messiah in the beginning. He's Messiah in the end. It says that he doesn't change. He's always the same yesterday, today, forevermore. Okay. So now what we're looking at is there's this progression from the law, from the first principles of the oracles of God to the elementary principles of Messiah. He's saying, um, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying and of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So do we see we had the law that was principles that was going to bring us to faith, to the revelation of Messiah. Now there are elementary principles that are going to be implemented that includes all of this so that we can come to understanding, seeing, knowing the fullness of Messiah. But this now also isn't the place to stop. Because he says in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Therefore, 
leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Messiah, let us go on to perfection. So the first principles of the oracles of God was given to bring them to faith. There was a progression to the elementary principles of Messiah. But now the elementary principles of Messiah, we also can't get stuck there. We're not supposed to get stuck there. We're supposed to still progress to perfection. Pause. Pause. It's so easy to read because this is a complicated composition of words and thoughts in the middle of a, the book to the Hebrews, which people think is complicated. Um, but it's easy to understand. The way I want you to respond right now is to look at the progression that we're suggesting. So forget about the fact that we're dealing with scripture and composition and, and uh, academics. It forms a picture, a very simple picture. Okay. So we have the Hebrew people. From childhood, they would sit at the feet of the rabbis. They would be educated and taught. Like we have a school system, these people would be taught the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophetic books. They would be taught the history that the Hebrew people has with God. It also forms their culture. The entire language is built around the knowledge of God and the experience with God. And this is entrenched in them. This is how they think. Like we have a culture, as South Africans or Brazilians have their own culture, they have this as a culture in them. Now, he, now he, in this book to the Hebrews, Paul is calling it the principles of the oracles of God. So it says that from the beginning, as God spoke and interacted with humanity, there was principles behind the speaking and the interaction. So now we can trace it back. There's a progression. Abel has to bring a sacrifice of lambs. We have gone through this. They don't eat meat. Why is he keeping lambs? So that when the time of sacrifice comes, it's a remembrance, a celebration, and an honoring of the lamb that would die for sin. Already we see it in, Abra in, in Abel's life. Okay. Now principle. So he's got to live according to principle. The principle of Messiah. So we see the unfolding through the giving of the law. First, the promises to Abraham, which is the promises to the seed, which we know is the finest Messiah. Then the giving of the law, so that they can come to faith, that we know is the finished work of Messiah. And then we see how we go through the prophetic books. All the prophetic books is about um, the, the redemption, the salvation that comes from Yahweh to His people. And then we see now this, this same group of people that was raised like this, educated like this, they live a life where Friday at sunset, Sabbath starts. You don't do anything else than everybody else around you. Everybody's going to keep the Sabbath if you're a Jew before the cross. Friday evening, if there's somebody in the neighborhood that's mowing the lawn, they're going to go stone the guy. So there was a resting period. Everybody rested. They grew up like this. Nobody would think to do anything else. If it was the time for the Feast of Tabernacles, everybody would know if there was a family in the village that were not keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. We cannot even imagine 
a lifestyle, a society, a culture where everybody is living in agreement, it, it, as a consequence, as a fruit, it has a peace, an agreement. Nobody is going against the stream. It's justice and righteousness flowing. This is how they grew up. And then this huge event, huge event, the day of Pentecost, where Peter points his finger at a crowd of people, probably about 5,000 plus people in the street. The Holy Spirit's poured out. Peter points his finger at these guys. He says, you crucified the promised Messiah. He's referring them to all their education, all their culture, everything they've ever known. And they're going like, this is the promise fulfilled. You crucified him. He has been raised by the Holy Spirit. This is Joel's prophecy coming true. They're cut to the heart. They said, what should we do? They get baptized. It is a laying down of self. It is saying, we're leaving the law we're taking, we're no longer going to put our trust, our confidence in the law. We're going to put our confidence in the fulfillment of the scriptures in Messiah. So there's a progression. So now we see a progression. There was the principles of the oracles of God. There's a, an event that catapults them forward into another form of progression. Now we see the next bit of this, the principles of Messiah. And there's certain things that is involved here. There's a baptism, an infilling of the Spirit. There's the renewing of the mind. And uh, the bringing in of the Gentiles. All kinds of other things happen. So there's progression. But what happens to this group of people, they keep wanting to go back to what they were used to. So instead of progressing, progressing they, they want to regress. They want to go back. And now he's saying... I want you to behold. When Messiah says, behold, it's when we hear, we learn, and then we see. We see what, we, what is true. So look at the progression here. There was the oracles, the principles of the oracles of God. Then there's the principles of Messiah. And then go on to perfection. Okay, so this is how we start looking at perfection. We're going to get, come back to this piece of scripture later because there's a lot of misunderstanding regarding this particular portion of scripture. We're going to lift up out some wonders and, and amazing things here. Now let's just look at the scriptures of going to, on to perfection. Mm. Can we do that? Yes. yes. So we want to make sure everybody understands and knows this is what the Bible speaks about. Let's go on to perfection. Okay. Okay, first scripture is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. He writes, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Messiah Yahushua, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So we see there's a progressing to perfection. Okay, next one. Should I do it in order? Yes. Okay. In this order. Yes. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. I'm going to read quickly because there's uh, many of them, but you can try and keep up. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay. What do we hear when we hear the word, you shall be? Is it a suggestion or a commandment? Does it sound like a suggestion? You could be. 
I would very much like you, God speaking through His Spirit and through His Word, and He's saying to His church, I would so like it if you could be perfect. That would be great. It would be great, really. I would, um, yeah, really, I'm asking you nicely, would you try, try, just give it a shot? You don't have to get there, but try at least. Like. Or is He saying, <laughs> you shall be perfect? We're still going to make the decision to respond. We're still going to make the decision to set our hearts in faith on the things that God has said. But we have to take it as a commandment that we can respond to. Okay, next. Okay, Ephesians 4 verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. I read it again. We all know it. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. So we understand we have spoken about this. These commandments is individually to be adhered to, to be considered, to be responded to. But we will only come to perfection as a body together. Till we all as one man and this means that I'm going to have to make sure that as I'm growing I'm going to have to share with you so that you can grow we're going to have to be patient and loving towards each other but it also has a consequence it means that if I'm not going to be diligent I'm actually just going to spend more time watching TV than actually so this is what it looks like in practice Listen carefully. And I know this is not us, but we need to be able to also explain it to others. So Saturday morning, when it's the best time of the week to reach out to someone to be resting in the presence of God, I'd rather watch... How long does the rugby game last? I don't even know. It's just a lot of wasted time. Nobody here knows. What a great, wonderful sign of renewal and progression. Nobody knows. So, people would rather watch the right bigger. Okay, so now I'm choosing to indulge in meaningless, self-satisfying, self-edifying things. I'm not saying don't have fun. I'm not saying don't have hobbies. I'm not saying don't do that. But if I stay behind and we are to be perfected as a body, then if we don't, not get, if we don't progress, who's, who's taking responsibility for not progressing? Okay, so what does it do? It forces us to gird our loins, tighten our belts. It forces us, because I love the body, it forces me to go beyond what I would have, where, what I would have done before. So it forces me to actually get up in faith and go beyond my limitations simply because I love the body. It's going to force me. This is what the, the moving forward to perfection is going to do when you have a body believing this is what God wants for us. And carry on. Can I read that? Yeah. Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 14. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing taken from it. God does it, that men should fear before Him. Okay. 
Yeah. So it's also cool. Okay. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 10. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And then chapter 1 verse 28 says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Messiah, Yahushua. Okay, wait. So, Paul is writing as a representative of Timothy, Luke, the whole team. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, here we, here we preach, we teach, we exhort, we lead by example. For what reason? So that they can do church on a Sunday night. So that they can present every man perfect. So Paul has a goal to his life's work. Timothy has a goal. They must be in agreement because he's saying, we do this for this reason, in this way. What's the expectation of the minister that Paul is? Well, does he have an expectation of the people that he's ministering to? Yes, he wants to present them perfect. Can you have an expectation from me ministering to you? That I should be diligent in doing my job so that you can be presented? Perfect. Can we afford to agree on anything less? Because I'll be disappointed if we if we agreed on anything else, and so would you. Yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Chapter 13, verse 11, still 2 Corinthians. Uh, He writes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. We made him a new no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So it doesn't say the word perfection but obviously this is perfection. So righteousness, did you make the connection? Righteousness and perfection goes hand in hand. And who are to become the righteousness? The body. Okay. Philippians 3 verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Messiah Yahushua has also laid hold of me. Okay, can I just ask mm. here, is he implying that the reason Messiah Yeshua laid hold of him is so that he can be perfected? It's not an interpretation. You look at what I he's mean, saying. I mean, that's what he's saying. Right? What else is he saying? He's saying, I have not already attained, I'm not yet perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which he lay hold, laid hold of me. So for most believers, they're thinking one day when they die, they're <laughs> going to lay hold of that which for which Messiah laid hold of them. So we're going to do our best here. There's going to be a faithfulness. And then when I die, I'm going to grab, uh, lay hold of that. Which No, it can't be. Because Paul says he's moving towards laying hold of it. There's an increase, yes. I'm just going to finish this passage because there's the progression in it, which is cool. 
So he goes on to say, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Messiah Yahushua. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So there's now linking the perfection of the body. So not only of the individual to come to perfection, but also as we all individually come in the process to perfection, we will be knitted together thinking the same, acting the same, becoming the same, so we can, as one, move on to perfection. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. However, we speak the wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Can I continue? What's the progression of the rulers of this world and the wisdom of this age? What's their progression? They're coming to nothing. Exactly. <laughs> so, but the wisdom of God is for those who are mature. So we go through the principles of the oracles of God. Then we go through the basic principles of Messiah. And then we continue through establishing those things. It's a laying down of building blocks. Layer by layer, you establish, you establish, you establish. Okay, so how do you climb a ladder? Step by step. And if you continue, where are you going? Up. Upward. Okay. So, Hopefully. basic <laughs> principles of the oracles of God. Then you carefully, you, don't, you can't climb a ladder and skip five steps. It's very dangerous to try and do. JP might try. Yeah. There's people that can do that kind of thing. I'm just gonna, I'm very careful. I don't know about you guys. I make sure my foot, I'm fear of heights. You see, and I'm short, so there's just no skipping any steps. But, so this is what we're seeing there. So we were created in His image and His likeness, in perfection. Then came the fall. Then comes redemption. He recreates us in His image and His likeness because we come to repentance. We lay down our lives. We are become partakers in the resurrection. So He recreates us again in perfection. That is because of forgiveness of sins. That's taken out of the equation. Now we progress to perfection, which is Him, eternal life, and New Jerusalem the glory, but what happens when we start moving back? We move closer to the fall, and that's where the wisdom of the world is going. Okay, we see this, the scriptures are showing us a pattern. Yes. Okay, John 17, verse 23. This one is very important. Yeshua is praying to the Father, he says. Can I read 22 as mm. well, just for the follow-up? He says, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. How is the world going to know? 
that the Father sent Messiah. Ultimately, how is the world going to know if it's true? It's by his body. And he tells us exactly how that should look for the world to ultimately know that says the nations will come to your light, to the light. What is the light? Now, we come to perfection, but we come to perfection as one in unity. How will we come to unity? Only in truth, by the Spirit. So if we are filled with the Spirit, and we progress in truth, so through the progression, that's what is going to bring unity. And when the unity in love is there, and we have to find love, says in John, love is keeping the commandments of God. So love is not a mushy feeling. It's not how we hug each other. We hug each other because we genuinely love each other. But we respond and we relate to each other in relationship, in fellowship, by walking according to God's commandments. That's love. So see how it forms a, a nice full round picture. Okay. How will the world ultimately know that the Son of God has really been sent by the Father to pay the price of sin, to die and to be resurrected? So that resurrection can be uh, real and eternal life can be real. How will they ultimately know? This scripture defines it. The world will know on earth because of the unity and love that we all come to as one man. That's it. Okay. Proverbs 4 verse 18 reads, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. Can you read that? I love that one. I know, me too. What a picture. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. See the progression. We all love a sunset, don't we? And then there's this moment when it's fully light and we kind of go like, okay, I'll do this again tomorrow because now it's just day. The sunrise. The sunrise. What did I say? The sunrise. (laughs) So you go like, okay, sunrise over, it's day, it's just day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so do we see the progression of the whole salvation plan of God, the whole history of all things in the one day? Where all has to happen, but there's the, the day of the Lord when all darkness has been removed and it's only glory. What a beautiful picture. Okay, almost done. 1 John chapter 4 verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. Okay, can we come to an agreement? Is this a principle of if there's a principle of progressing, do we have a clear goal? Progressing isn't into nowhere. Okay, so if you start off at the top of uh, Bloberg Road and you drive towards the ocean, you go and you go and you go. Okay, once you reach the beach, can you keep going? You can if you want to. Okay. So when it comes to progression, I want us to remove that subconscious thing that we've all had in our hearts and our minds of, I want to progress, but I'm never intending to actually arrive. You ask believers 
they know, yes, we're supposed to come to perfection. Nobody's actually given them permission to go like, I attend, I, I, I'm, my intention is actually to, to go there. To arrive. To arrive. And to stay there. So it's, it's, we've got to start seeing the word as something to be applied and to be fulfilled. The word has to be fulfilled. I would prefer the scriptures being fulfilled in my lifetime, in my life. Okay, so it's not... Otherwise, we're just like the Israelites going through the wilderness, going like, yes, but there's the promised land. Right? We're on our way to the promised land. Has, has anybody here not read the story of the Israelites and go like, how could you, how could you be this stupid? Well, no disrespect, but does anybody, everybody secretly thinks this. It's like, what was wrong with these people? It's the promised land. And yet they don't want to go. We all, when we read the story at first, we go like, what's wrong with these people? And yet, modern Christianity is exactly the same. We don't intend to actually enter all the promises of God. Because I think it's this mindset of, well, it's been given. So, if I go there, if I don't go there... It could be that, that it's just the mindset, well, I've been given all things. I'm just not going to live in it. Or, it could be that uh, secretly and I've certainly been there myself, I don't want to take responsibility for, for all of this. Mm. Really, do I want to be responsible for all of this? So a lot of people go like, if I don't know what's written there, then I don't have to do it. We actually go and we read the whole thing, then we endeavor to understand the whole thing so that we can see the whole Word of God become reality in our lives, take responsibility for the life God has given us. Okay, so... Now, we have finished most of the introduction. Hmm. We're going to bring you to the meat now, to the main course. Right, let's go to the book of Colossians. Let's go to Colossians, chapter 2, first. Okay. Chapter 2, verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Messiah. As you therefore have received... Yahushua HaMashiach, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Is there a momentum forward? Can you pick up the momentum? There's no way you can read the scripture and see something static. Am I right? Okay. Uh, what is the word abounding? Abounding. What does it evoke in you? When you hear the word abounding? Jump. Okay, is it like? Leaping. Is that abounding? <laughs> Do you want to show us what abounding evokes oh, in you? I could, but... Not Go for it. Go, show us. Show us, show us abounding, please. No. Okay. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> go, go. Do your job. <laughs> 
gonna send me a bomb. I can't do it on the <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So so we read this. It evokes your spirit naturally understand what, what what's written here. Okay, how do you abound and not move forward? Is it possible? Okay, I've seen charismatics abound and not move forward. That is it. <laughs> they do what? I'm missing. <laughs> okay. All right. Now listen to this. Uh, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world. So we saw what? Principles of the oracles of God and the principles of Messiah. Now we're seeing basic principles of the world. Versus the principles of Messiah. And not according to Messiah. Okay. So what is the basic principles of the world going to achieve? It's going to achieve this. Deceit. What is the traditions of men equated to in this piece of scripture? The traditions of men are there to deceive. Should we be cautious? So, um, why, I'm, I'm very aware of the traditions of men wherever I go, and I walk like this when it comes to traditions of men. It has to reflect the word of God or its traditions of men. And if traditions of men say it's the word of God, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not equal to what this says, then something's wrong. Am I right? Okay, we all know that. We've been well discipled. Listen to this. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him. Is it possible that this scripture is only referring to Yahushua, the Son of Man, while he was in the flesh? That all the, full head of the fullness of the Godhead dwell in him while he was in the flesh? Because that's what people think, because it uses the word bodily. And then it says, and in him you are... So it can't be, because you can't have both at the same time. Were you in him when he was in the flesh? As a man. So this can't mean what most people think it means. Right, okay. Now let's go to Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. Okay, we'll go to 16. We'll start from 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. For by him, is this Messiah we're talking about? By Messiah, you now it's time to really pay attention. By Messiah, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Through whom were all things created? Answer the question for yourself quickly. Through whom? Through Messiah. For whom were all things created? For Messiah. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So, 
this, if you look at the tenses, right now, without unchanging, in every moment, from everlasting to everlasting, all things consist in Him. Am I right? So when this was written, all things are consisting in Messiah. If we are living 2,000 years later, did this exclude us if this is written in the tense that it is written? Okay. Just make the math. To do the math. Now we're going to see what it means. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Let's quickly check how well you've been discipled. What is this saying? In him all the fullness should dwell. Let's see who can answer this. Anybody want to volunteer? What does it mean? What is the fullness? Yes. <laughs> I saw your lips move. No, I just think what fullness So if it says, in him all the fullness should dwell, please the Father, what is the fullness? Because we read this and we go, with the how many people stop and go like, what is the fullness? What, what is one man? Until the number is fulfilled, and it says in Hebrews that all the work of all God's work is finished, all the works are finished. So it pleased the Father that in Him all that will be redeemed, because we read that we are in Him, in Messiah. So all that is redeemed should dwell in Him in fullness. Did we just see that? And okay, so we, we're getting the picture. This is leading somewhere. So keep this in mind. Okay. In him all the fullness you dwell, and by him to reconcile all things in himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and in enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, indeed you continue in the faith. What is the faith? We saw in Hebrews chapter 11. Everybody knows it by now. So if indeed you continue in the faith, it says a narrow road. What do you do on a road? You continue on a road. There's movement forward. And if you continue on a road, you're going to arrive at a what? A destination. Okay, so we know the destination is uh, New Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven and eternity, eternal life. Okay. So do I only arrive in the fullness of the kingdom in perfection if when I die? Which means that I should just um, get it over with and move on to perfection. <laughs> but he has a process in place where Messiah is fully formed in us. <laughs> We're not <laughs> preaching that at all. <laughs> We're not one of those sects where everybody's going to kill saying, themselves. No, no, not no. not saying let's go on to perfection. No, no. <laughs> not in that way. We're not moving on forcibly. Okay. No. Let's go back to the book of Hebrews. So I've heard many people debate about what it says in chapter 6 when it says that anybody that falls away cannot be restored to repentance. So the self-righteous 
I've had many of the self-righteous tell me, yes, it's those people that went back to their sin and, and they're going to be lost forever. What? That's me. And you. Anybody here want to volunteer and say that after salvation you didn't sin again? Anyone want to try that one? So now we've got a great sin, see? There's greater sin. Or we can say, well, it's unconfessed sin. We could go there. Okay, if my for the forgiveness of sin was dependent on me confessing sin, I would have to constantly be... I would, I would really have to keep a good record of what I did. Because what if I forgot something when I was confessing? Or can we just do a general confession? Most people do that. I'm just sorry for everything. And then I'm going to take a few moments, feel really bad. The worse I feel, the better. Convince God I'm really sorry. Then I'm going to move on to the next step. And this all happens in like less than a minute. Because, see, I don't want to dwell there too long. Because no, no. he might smite me. Yeah, so I want to get it over with, get forgiven, so I can move on with my life. So that we'll move on to the next step. I'll go like, but I believe that your blood has washed away all my sins. And thank you for your grace and your mercy. And, and um, I accept your forgiveness <laughs> again. And now uh, I, I say thank you. Because if I say thank you, it's, it's kind of establishing it, it's done. Mm. I kind of appropriate forgiveness by now. saying thank you, because yeah. I did say sorry. So the process, our common sense process makes no common sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Okay? So general, let me advise you, general repentance better than specific repentance, because you're going to forget something and then you're in trouble. Mm. Okay? So do we see how this cannot work at all? Just cannot work. Okay, so this piece of scripture in chapter 6 says this, listen carefully. Okay, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame, for the earth was which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. And so the self-righteous will tell you, it's that person that went back to drugs after he's been in church for five years, he's known, tasted the goodness of God, and yes, he's, it makes no sense. It cannot be speaking about that, can it? Okay, because then we have to grade, and there's serious sin, and then there's less serious sin, and then it's expected of me to understand which is which. i tell you what the most serious sin is that can be in my heart or my life. And that is not to be looking for the specific will of God so that I can live out the will of God. That's the gravest of sins. Does it make any common sense that if I was created by Him in His likeness and His image, if He's almighty and His will is perfect, and I'm His son, that I should be seeking to live my life according to His will, to, be, to glorify Him, progressing into Messiah likeness, 
And if I'm not doing that, isn't, wouldn't that be the gravest of sin? Could murder possibly be worse than not actually paying attention to the will of God? Okay, now, we have all of this. The basic principles of the oracles of God and the principles of Messiah. How do we define sin if we, most people don't even know what the basic principles of Messiah is? How can we live accordingly? So now we want to define sin. Okay, we'll use the Ten Commandments. And ignore the fact that there's an entire volume of Scripture that teaches us the will of God, points us towards the very oracles of God and the principles of Messiah, and most people are, are oblivious of them. And that's why we have to make sure that we know the Word, but also we're seeking to do the will of God, live out the will of God. Okay, now what is this speaking about? It's not speaking about somebody that is going to be cursed and be lost and lose salvation. His name is going to be scratched out of the book of life. If you have been baptized into Messiah, you are in Messiah. It's speaking here about what? Someone that is not bearing fruit. And this is how we get to the principle of progression. Remember, it's still coming from the progressing thing that he's explaining to them. He's saying to them, you should have progressed. You're not progressing. Leave where you are. Progress. Because if you don't bear fruit, this is what's going to happen. He's still speaking to the Hebrew people. Still saying to them, you should have been teachers by now. You've come through the whole educational system of the basic principles of the oracles of God, the Old Testament. You've seen the fulfillment of the prophecies in Messiah coming to earth dying and being resurrected. You've seen that. You've come to faith because you have a testimony of the fulfillment of the prophecies. He's saying to them, if you fall back from those things, you can't come to the cross. That's what he's saying. You can't be restored to repentance because you repent once. Well, how do you repent? You come to Messiah. You exchange your life for His. He takes your sinful life, your sinful person, into his body on the cross. We've read all the scriptures about how forgiveness works on the cross. And then you have to be renewed, recreated in his image and his likeness, new creation. And you can't do that twice. Just like you could never, it's impossible for you to be born twice. You come out it's of your mother's womb, you dad looks, goes twice. like, I don't like this face at all. No, <laughs> not acceptable. Try put again. it back, just put it back. And, and let's see what it looks like when it comes out again. Maybe it'll look better. Okay? And even more than that, you can't die twice. You can't, you can't lay die down twice. your life okay. twice. So this is what it's talking about. Repentance, renewal happens once. You go to the cross once. You try and go back to the cross. You have to actually now go backwards through the process of salvation and rebirth to get in front of the cross, to confess your sin, get forgiven again, that is crucifying again Messiah for a person's self. That's what it says. It says it black and white. It's like also saying later on he's going to say, where does he say it? Here. But I'm not going to yeah. read it. But it's, it's this thing of if I have to go back to the cross to receive forgiveness again, then it means that the first time he forgave me, the first time I went to the cross, it actually wasn't enough because I need it again and again and again. So we all again. understand that. So let's just on record make sure that we understand this is what this scripture is talking about. It means that it says there's fertile ground. God created a piece of fertile ground. The rain, the blessing of God comes down on it, is giving the rain, 
So the Lord has sown the seeds of the knowledge of the kingdom, the understanding of the kingdom in our lives. We've come to the cross. We have received forgiveness and redemption. We have come through the oracles, or the principles of the oracles of God. We've come through the basic principles of Messiah, like the land. The seeds are sown, the rain is, and there's an expectation for bearing fruit. Says this piece of land, when it doesn't bear fruit, it's close to being cursed, and then it burned. We start over. So there's going to be consequences for the person's life that has come through this. He's still speaking to the Hebrews, saying, you've come through all of this. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit of progressing, progressing into perfection? Where's the fruit? So do we have, now have a, a barometer, something to measure progression and bearing fruit by? So everybody says we've got to bear fruit. What's the fruit? Undefined. Coming to perfection but as a body. So we can only start bearing fruit together. So there's individual fruit, but then together. Now, it's not saying this person is lost, it's cursed. It's saying that eventually there's consequence. You can't continue not bearing fruit. And that's why we are teaching progressing. So we encourage each other to have a fruit-bearing cycle that is so tight and so close together that we all know we're doing well. And we do this by never going into condemnation, even though there might be mistakes in our lives and still unperfection in our lives. It's not to be so. We go to him and say, I found this thing in my heart. Man, I, I thought I was free from envy. Lord, I'm sitting with you. I need to understand what this is and understand what your word says about it and understand how to overcome it. I can't go and say, I'm sorry that there's envy. Forgive me. I've been forgiven. It's washed away. It's off the record. It's for me to overcome in the area. Now, we've got a few minutes to show you the most beautiful part of the scripture. We're actually just going to go there. Yes. I just want to, I'm not going to read it. I just want to say, make a note. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 17. You can go read it. Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying, um, you're still carnal and he can't speak. He mm. only can speak to them as carnal people because they can only drink milk. They can't yet eat solid food. And then he explains that he and Apollos are planting and watering, but God is bringing the increase. And then there has to be this progression to fruit coming to maturity. And then he goes on to say that because fire is going to burn all the work that was done because everything that has been built correctly according to the ways of God, that will remain, but everything else will be burnt away so that it can be purified, which directly links to what we read here. Exactly. So I'm hoping this is making it easier. If anybody has more questions, we can't expand on it more. I think it's pretty straightforward. Now, let's look at the progression in Messiah's life. Can you imagine that <coughs> oh, there yes. would be the necessity for progression in the eternal reality of Messiah himself. Because we know that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. When is the beginning? So we have determined that he's the beginning for creation. Now we're going to see something very interesting. So there's progression in the eternal uh, person of Messiah. And we see progression in his Son of Man, 
person when he is in the flesh. Uh, can you read to us how he... Okay, so first we're just going to read there. in John chapter 3. Don't page there. There's one sentence. John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist is saying, He, Messiah, must increase, but I must decrease. So we see there's an increase of him having to increase in us. But then in Luke chapter 2, so long, chapter 2, verse 40 says, And the child, referring to Yeshua, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then verse 52 says, And Yeshua increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. So even he was increased. Do we believe that he was born son of God and fully God? Do we believe that? Yet he increased in what wisdom? Stature. Stature. So there was an increase. There's a movement of increase up until the time of his ministry. Okay, now we can see that little picture of when he's on earth, there's increase and there's growth and there's, there's progression. Now there's a bigger progression and this is beautiful. So we know that he is the same yesterday today and tomorrow. That in the beginning was, was the Word and the Word was with God and he was God. So we know there's always been God. But listen to this. Hebrews chapter 5. Page there. Chapter 5 verse 5. So also Messiah did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. On this day that I begot you. So there's a day when he's begotten, am I right? And the father says on the day that he's begotten, you are my son. And you will become the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. No, he says you are a priest forever. Now. So if he has to become. <laughs> so the father commands him. He's, the father speaks to him. He says, my son that I have begotten, this day that I have begotten, you are a priest. Does it sound familiar? When he comes down the mountain, he speaks to the Israelites. He says, you will be a nation of priests. And he says... <clears throat> You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. If he is the first and only begotten Son of God, and he is the beginning, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, then how can he be a priest in the order of Melchizedek? How can there be an order of Melchizedek if he is the firstborn Son of God? He's the first one that's there. When did God say this to him? Okay, do we see something happening here? Now we all know the story. This outside of time, Abraham comes back from the conquest. He meets Melchizedek, the priest, the high priest. And the high priest brings out 
w wine and milk. Uh, uh, wine and bread. Wine and bread. Sure, man. So the priest, Melchizedek, comes and he serves him with the Lord's Supper. Yes. Okay. He says, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, he blessed Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So Abraham brings a tithe to Melchizedek. Melchizedek serves him with the Lord's Supper. Okay, what is Abraham representative of in that moment? Is there any other believer carrying the promise to the seed on earth? So also only? just listen to what Melchizedek says. He says to him, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. So Abraham is carrying the seed. This is after the falling away that came uh, with um, Nimrod. Uh, 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 not Nimrod. No, 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 no. Nimrod. No. No, wait. What? The, okay, so, so we know that there's this uh, Babel. So Babel, okay, that's where the knowledge of God yeah, that is ends. Then there's a whole stretch of time where the people lose the knowledge of God. God speaks to Abraham. Abraham's father is an idol maker. Okay, now we know the story of Abraham in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Now, the promises are made to Abraham, but it says very clearly to the seed, which is Messiah, that is still in Abraham. He's going to have descendants, so that out of the descendancy, the Messiah can be born. Abraham coming to this valley to meet the high priest has no children yet. He's representing all the seed. All the seed is in him. Who is he meeting? Well, Kisedek having all the, all the priesthood, all the seed, he's the Messiah. All things are redeemed into Messiah. So what is the picture we're looking at when the, these two men on earth meet? Abraham is also representing the priesthood. When God comes down the mountain, what is he telling the Israelites, that is, the sons of Abraham? You will be the priesthood, the nation of priests. Abraham is representing the entire priesthood. And he's coming to the high priest, Melchizedek, that will come from his loins and will become the high priest when? Can you read the rest of it when he, it explains how he becomes the high priest? So it says that now to become the high priest, Messiah has to die, bring the perfect sacrifice that is his own life. That's how he becomes the high priest. Okay. Are you picturing the picture yet? So Abraham is the high priesthood that we are called to become the priesthood. There's a reason why the temple is destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant is lost. Nobody knows where it is. The flame on the menorah goes out. The 
the altar where the sacrifices was brought splits into, the rock splits into, the veil is torn. No more temple, no more priesthood. There's a reason why the high priest tears his clothes when they can't, he admits they can't kill the Messiah themselves. They need the Romans to do it. He has no more authority. Priesthood gone. Where is the priesthood restored to? The Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. Flames of fire, the menorah is relit. He will put his laws where? In your heart. What was inside the Ark of the Covenant? The law. What was sprinkled on top of the Ark of the Covenant? The blood. The angels that were there to uh, make sure that the implementation of the law was done, they're looking through the blood at the law, seeing the blood. And this is how atonement is done. Now, so you, your heart, after the resurrection, becomes the Holy of Holies. You have the laws of God in your heart. You have the atonement upon you by the sprinkling of the blood, set free from the consequences of the law in Messiah and the fulfillment. So you become the Holy of Holies. The flame is lit above, the tongues of flames are lit above their heads. They become the light of the world, the menorah. Your life becomes a living sacrifice. Does it say living sacrifice? That's why the altar was split. The lifting of tearing of the veil was his flesh. We can now enter in. The, it says the way into the Holy of Holies had not been made known until that moment, or, show, or shown or revealed. Now, what, what are we looking at? What are we looking at? Priesthood. You and I become the priesthood. The prom, original promise that God uh, speaks over the Israelites that they, that they don't accept. So Abraham comes and meets the high priest that will come from his loins, him representing all the seed, the only place where the seed can be found. He's the priesthood. Do you see a full circle of the perfect plan and commandments of God? And it says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. When in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So the commandment when God begets the, begets the son, he says, you will be the priest. You will be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Then he has to come down in the form of man. So he's fully God born in the flesh, but he still has to perfect obedience. He still has to pray and cry out vehemently to the God that he knows are able to raise him from the dead. Although he is the eternal Son of God, he already appeared as the high priest to Abraham, he still has to come and fulfill obedience. Now what do we see? Listen to this. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Do we see a progression even in the eternal person of Messiah? The will of God is expressed. 
the word takes the will of God, becomes the will of God. And now he has to come, perfect obedience, become the perfect sacrifice, bring his own sacrifice as a high priest into the presence of God that is accepted. Now becoming high priest, before the perfect sacrifice brought, he cannot be the high priest. Yet he's promised and called and commanded to become the high priest. This forms this cycle where before the priesthood is even called into existence, him coming out of Abraham, out of the line of the priesthoods, how can there be the order of Melchizedek if he has to come and fulfill the obedience and become the author and the perfecter of our faith only through his obedience when he's on earth? See, the perfect cycle of God's perfect will. That is why He's the beginning and the end. But there's still progression. So yes, I'm forgiven and perfected and accepted and I'm given eternal life, but I still have to live out on earth the progression into perfection. Although it's been determined and proclaimed by God over me, I still have to give myself fully to the process and the progression of all that He has promised and all that He has called me to be so that I can become it. And Messiah still had to walk out obedience. He was still vulnerable to weakness. The Bible says it. He didn't cave into weakness, but He was vulnerable to it. He still had to walk it out. Did He come to perfection? He is the way He's the example. We have to walk exactly the same road, the same way. He's the only example we have. He comes to perfection. We are commanded to come to perfection. He has to walk it out and do it through obedience and trusting and knowing the promise of the Father. Why can he trust that he will become the high priest if he lays down his life and bring the perfect sacrifice? Because the Father already determined it. And the Father's word is true and amen and always the will of the Father will be done and be fulfilled. So can we now start to believe that when He speaks to His body, little old me, and He says, become perfect as I am perfect, can I dare to start believing that He's going to do it? Yes, I'm vulnerable to weakness. So was He. But He was filled with the Spirit because of him going into the water, baptized, coming out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And it's by the Spirit that he fulfilled the will of the Father. It's by the Spirit that he's raised from the dead. It's by the Spirit that I'm raised. There's no reason for us to draw back. No reason for us to stall on the road. We can encourage each other to run into perfection. Why would we want to hesitate? For what reason? We have perfect example, perfect promises, perfect cycles of fulfillment. Now, will you read a little bit of the rest of Hebrews over there? All of it. Yeah. Then we're going to finish. Just listen to our beautiful how beautifully this is. Paul is explaining to the Hebrews. What is he doing? The whole letter of the Hebrews. 
to the Hebrew people. He's saying, remember that you were invited into rest. Now make sure that you be diligent to enter into the rest. Progression. Right? Then he's reminding them of what faith is. Abraham looking toward the city that was built by God's own hands, the foundations laid by God's hands. That is why he had the faith to obey God. Moses, willing to forsake the house of Pharaoh. Why? Because he had revelation of Messiah. This is the letter he's writing to the Hebrews. He's going like, Everything in the book of Hebrews is about progressing. Everything. And the dangers of not progressing. What is the heading of chapter 6? The peril of not progressing. Okay. You can read the rest. Um, Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's read from the beginning of chapter 7. I was going to read everything. Read it. Okay. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed those who are the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them, received tithes, from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contra contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. Why is this important? What is he talking about? Abraham representing us, the priesthood, is bringing tithes to the high priest there. And after that, they will become the priesthood that receives the tithing from the brethren. We don't do tithing, but we understand the principle that was put in place because God put that in place. Why? He's calling them to be a nation of priests. Now, everybody's not going to work in the temple, but when the farmer comes to the Levite to bring a tenth of the produce, he's ministering unto the Levite, who's the priest now. The priest, representing the priesthood of Melchizedek, the order, he's receiving it as Abraham received the blessing from Melchizedek. Isn't this how wonderful we see our roles in the new covenant body? We minister one unto another. Today, I'm having the privilege to minister unto you. Tomorrow, one of you will encourage me with the body, the priesthood. So, the farmer bringing his tithing is ministering unto the priesthood so that the ministering of the priesthood can be to facilitate the sacrifices and the work in the temple. 
And the temple is representative of the body, the new covenant body that we now are. This is the brotherhood of believers, one body, one spirit. You can continue. Continue. Okay. Uh, of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Do you want me to skip? Yeah, go to 15. Okay, 15. Verse 15. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Here we have this cycle again. So the, the, the high priest, Yahushua, comes out of the power of an endless life. On the day that the father begot him, said, you are my son. And then he commands him, tells him he will become the priesthood, the priest. And out of being created out of the perfection of his likeness and his image. This is what, why we become the priesthood. It was God's desire when he comes down the mountain, because he created us in his likeness and his image. What likeness and image? So he becomes the high priest when he comes into our likeness and our image as flesh, being vulnerable to weakness as we are, that he perfects obedience and fulfills the law, brings his own life as sacrifice that's acceptable to God the Father, representing all of us in one body, taking all the sins of the world into his body, making the way for us to come into Him through being baptized into Messiah, being resurrected in Messiah, so that we can live out of being in Messiah into this world. See the perfect cycle of progression. So we can measure progression by increasing in love. But what's the ultimate outcome of increasing in love? We can measure progression by increasing in wisdom. What's the ultimate increase to the ultimate statue of wisdom. We can measure our progression, our increase, in increasing in the knowledge of God until all we know is what God knows. So what happens when I increase in the knowledge of God until I know the Father as the Son knows the Father and I know the Son as the Father knows the Son? Not as I choose to know my idea of the Son or the Father, the way they know each other and trust each other. I trust the Father as the Son trusts the Father. I trust the obedience and the perfection of the Son as the Father knows that it is true. So we can measure progression on the way, according to many things, increasing in boldness, increasing in knowledge and understanding. Yes, I am increasing in understanding. Until we come to perfection, then what do I understand? understand what he spoke the principles of the oracles of God and the basic principles of Messiah what's the basic principles of Messiah on the day that he begot him he said you are my son you will become the priest over the priesthood how do we become the priesthood he pours his spirit into us and we become of the same mind the same heart we walk like him and it commands us, be in this world as he is. 
if you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Uh, God's perfect law. And so we have progression only until we come back to what He recreates us to be. So progression for us is all the way there until we come to the point where we're back to our origin, which is Him. Everything in between has to go. My opinions, my preferences, my culture has to go. Cannot stay, not if I progress. How do we measure progression? We're back at the very central truth of our faith and of the Word. Messiah-likeness. Until He is fully formed in us and we are fully conformed to Him. Progression is measured on the way by our increase in peace, our increase in rest, which is covenant. Our increase, uh, the increase of His joy in us, because that's a promise of the one man. What's His joy? His finished work according to the fulfilled will of the Father is His joy. Do we see how this is not difficult? And it's the entire Bible progressing in itself, unto itself, all the time. I think we can land it there. So, we encourage each other to progress where? Why would we, why would we tarry? And why would we pause if this is what we are progressing to? We're getting to know Him until all our knowledge is perfected in Him and that's all we know then. It's Him. So, measuring will be needed for a little while and we want to use the tools to measure, am I right? Because otherwise we won't know if we progress. So the principle of progressing is, we measure, we have principles to measure by. We have eternal truths that must become true, that's how the Kingdom come. But we're not progressing to nowhere. And one of two things can happen if you, when you reach that point of perfection. Either you will be raptured like Enoch, because that's what happened to him. Possible. He, the, we've got an example that someone actually got there. Elijah, taken up, alive. Moses. Well, he died. And yes, then, but, yeah. but he was very, very, very close to no perfection. No one knows where he's there. <laughs> we uh, will, if we reach perfection, we'll reach one of two definite points, ultimate destinations. You're either going to follow in the footsteps of Enoch or you will have the great privilege of spending your life on the Gospel and the Kingdom, knowledge of the Kingdom, or even losing your life. So I'm wondering what was the exact determining factor when it was time for Paul to be ready to die for the Gospel. I think um, he finally got to that place. 
Well, he actually says he did. Okay, so what do we have to fear? Nothing. What do we have to lose? Nothing. What do I have to gain? Everything. Everything. Okay. So this was all of this. Please go have a look at Melchizedek again and what it actually says. It says that he wasn't always the high priest. He still had to come and fulfill obedience. But in time, outside of time is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. But all of the truths of salvation and the plan and the will of God has to manifest on earth. doesn't change the kingdom. just changes what happens on earth so that the will of the Father can be fulfilled on earth. And that gives us valid ground to embrace progression, because that's what he did. Amen. Okay. You want a freebie? Yes. Okay. So Nadia pointed out that the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, after, remember, he comes back from the conquest. They there. They're also trying he to He thought they weren't meeting on earth. I was like, no, they have to be meeting on earth because the king of Sodom is there. So now, so I went back to the last, okay, how does this work? Because now there's normal human beings. The other seed is there seeing the Abraham, the seed, meeting the fulfillment, the culmination or the salvation of the seed. This is a huge moment. How is it that fallible, sinful man is allowed to be part of this? And then I realized, you know, those people from those two cities, they came to get their children back that was taken into slavery or hostage, their belongings back, their, their livestock Families. back. They're looking at this event, the entire gospel, the entire salvation plan of God, the entire history of humankind in relation to God, unfolding in front of their eyes, two men in a valley. And he brings bread and wine, the Lord's Supper, to the body. And you know what? Those two kings, was there, whoever was there, their people of Sodom and Gomorrah, didn't repent. Because when God lets Abraham know that he's going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Adam, uh, Abraham says, what if there's 50 righteous men? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? And the whole Sodom and Gomorrah event is three or four chapters later. Later? So what happens? Judgment comes to Sodom and Gomorrah <coughs> because they witnessed salvation and did not repent. Because think of it. Why would the Lord just show up one day and go like, I'm going to judge these two cities, but not the rest of the world, which is also living in ungodliness and unrighteousness. Because they were there. And he can't judge them on their sinful actions because he doesn't do that. We know Everybody's that's not sinful. the way judgment works. So if he's going to judge them because of their sinful actions, then he has to judge everyone. We know we've gone through this. So what is he judging them for? So what is the dangers of not progressing? You can't know, you can't hear, you can't behold and ignore. We're not talking about the consequences because the consequences are not for us. We're encouraging each other not to walk in the consequences. Now I'm really going to say amen. Mm. Say amen.